page 174. So this is from the book of Jewish law, the Rambam, Maimonides, and he writes like this. A person who doesn't have a lot of money. He has only one dollar. And he can either spend it to buy a Shabbat, Shabbat, light, a Shabbat candle or a Hanukkah candle. Mm-hmm. You got the page? No. 174. Oh, okay. 174. 174. Okay, so you can, or you could say he has one candle and he can either use it to light it for Friday night for Shabbat or he can use it to light a Hanukkah candle. What is he supposed to do? Which one? He doesn't have any options to get another one. Not like, you know, the, the Chochem. There we go. He doesn't have the option to get another one. What should he do? Well, I guess, yeah, let's uh, hear what you think first before we see what the Jewish law Are states. You I guess so, why not? What do you think? Hanukkah. Well, Hanukkah. Why Hanukkah? Because it's funner. Well, it's if you, you know, on Shabbat, you have to light first the Hanukkah candles and then the Shabbat candles, right? But I'm thinking that because Hanukkah only comes once a year, they will say that, they will rule that it's more important to light the Hanukkah candle than uh, the Shabbat candle. It gets a priority because it's a special event. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay, let's see what it says. If a person has a choice between lighting the house of Shabbat and the house and lighting the candle of Shabbat and the candle of Hanukkah, ner beto kodem. The Shabbat candle has the priority. Why? Mishum shalom bayit. Because. What is the purpose of Shabbat candles, the original purpose of Shabbat candles? Shalom Bayit. The original purpose of Shabbat candles, by now it's already become a, a, a purely a spiritual symbol. But in the olden days before electricity, the Jewish people accepted upon themselves this mitzvah that every Jewish home should light a candle before it gets dark on Friday night so that you can have light in your house on Friday night. Once Shabbos starts, you can't light a candle. And if you forgot to light candle before Shabbat, then you'll be eating your meal, your Friday night meal, Shabbat dinner, in the dark. And if you're going to be eating the Shabbat dinner in the dark, it's not going to be very uh, enjoyable. Plus you'll be tripping over things in your house and you'll be bumping into people. So, in order to make the atmosphere in the house more conducive to tranquility, peacefulness, and enjoyment, you have the candle that you must light before Shabbat in order to promote shalom bayit, peace in your home, so that you can have a peaceful Shabbat and not an aggravating Shabbat. That was the original purpose of the Shabbat candles. Since then, with the advance and the advances of technology. So that reason is no longer practical, but it's still the reason. And therefore, it's still what the Shabbat candles symbolize. And it's still the, that's why women are still the ones who light the candle, because it is a, a mitzvah for the home. And the home belongs to the woman. So 
And because of the great value of shalom bayit, peace in the home, so therefore nothing can cancel Shabbat candles. Not even the Hanukkah candles. Shaharei, what's so great about peace? Shaharei, Hashem nimchak la'asot shalom ben ish li'ishto. Peace between a man and his wife, between a family, is so awesome that God Almighty commands us to erase his name just for the sake of restoring peace between a husband and a wife who are at odds with each other. In case somebody doesn't know what that, what that is referring to. It's referring to a case that the Torah describes where a man is overly suspicious of his wife. A man has reason to suspect his wife that she's not being faithful because she keeps on secluding herself with the same man. And he keeps on telling her, I don't want you to be alone with that man. And she keeps on doing it. Then the uh, woman is brought to the Bet Din, to the court. Obviously this does not happen nowadays because we don't have Sanhedrin, we don't have Beit HaMikdash, we're not in Yerushalayim, we don't do any capital punishment. But in the days of the Beit HaMikdash, the woman would be brought to the Beit HaMikdash and they would take a parchment and they would write God's name on the parchment and then they would take water from the uh, holy vessels in the Beit HaMikdash and they would dip the parchment in the water so that the water would wash away the ink and God's name would be erased into the water and then the woman would be given the water and if, and if she was guilty she would drink it and she would die and if she was innocent she would drink it and then she would be rewarded with long life and children and whatever so the Torah commands us specifically to write God's name and erase it in order to restore the peace between this man and his wife. So from here, Jewish tradition has taken a cue that if erasing God's name is one of the worst sins that a person can do, that's why we always write G-D, right? You don't want to write G-O-D because what if it gets erased? Of course, it would be inadvertent. You wouldn't erase God's name intentionally. But even if it gets erased accidentally, it's no good. And uh, every time you have a, a prayer book or a Torah book that has God's name written out, we don't throw it in the garbage. We don't, we don't desecrate it. We bury it respectfully like you would, like you would a human being. Because, and this is all because of the tremendous respect and honor that we give God's name as it is written. And here God tells us, write my name and erase it for this couple. Not take my name that has already been written somewhere and erase it. Write my name so that you can erase it to make peace. So from here, we've taken our cue that to God, peace, peace in a, in a, in a marriage, peace in a home is of paramount value, paramount value, that God is even willing to sacrifice himself so that there should be peace. We find um, in the stories of the Torah more than once where one of the people in the Torah changes the truth Slightly, for the sake of peace. Most famous example, God tells Avraham, you're going to have a baby, even though you're 99, you're 100 years old, and your wife is 90, you're going to have a baby. And um, Avraham says, how could I have a baby uh, at my advanced age and my wife is so old? 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sarah was the one. Sarah said, I don't understand how you think we could have a baby. Va'adoni zakein. My husband is an old man. So God says to Avraham, Lama zetzachaka Sarah? Why was Sarah laughing? And why was she saying, how could I have a baby? Va'ani zakanti when I am so old. That's not what she said. She didn't say, I am so old. She said, my husband is an old man. But God says to Avraham, your wife says she doesn't believe she can have a baby because she's so old. But God himself changes the story a little bit because you don't want to tell a husband that his wife said that he's an old man. (laughs) So you can change it, you can fiddle with the truth a little bit for the sake of not causing discord, God forbid, between a couple. Because peace is the most important thing. Is that in the Torah, that uh, the switching of the yeah. uh, guilt? Uh-huh, 100%. She says, Adoni zakanti, mm-hmm. and uh, God says, Ani zakanti. When, he, when God quotes her, God misquotes her to say, Ani zakanti. How could I have a baby when I'm so old? When she said, how could I have a baby when Avram is so old? <laughs> so, and that's not the only time. There's other times in the Torah where people are massaging the truth for the sake of keeping the peace. So it's because if God's willing to erase his name for the sake of keeping the peace, then surely you can tell a little bit of a white lie or, or not tell the whole truth for the sake of keeping the peace. Now we continue, the Rambam continues and he says, Gadol HaShalom, how awesome is peace? Shekol HaTorah nitna la'asot shalom ba'olam. The entire Torah was given for one purpose, to make peace in the world. Shenemar, as, as it says, and we, and we say this when we lift up the Torah, Shalom. The ways of the Torah are pleasant, and all of Torah's paths are peace, peaceful. That's why it's so incongruous when you have a person who teaches Torah, and he is an angry person, or a critical person, or a, or a um, what do you call it, a person who who causes controversy. The Torah itself is uh, the Torah is all about bringing peace. So if you use the Torah to sow the seeds of controversy, it's, uh, it's using the Torah against itself. Anyway, so anyway, we see that peace is of such importance and the Torah, whole Torah was given to make peace. So the Shabbat candles come first. Because the Shabbos candles are from That are from was my peace. first, actually. But then, why, why, why would... Because when we light the Shabbat candles and the Hanukkah candles, you know, on Friday night, you have to light Hanukkah candles first and then Shabbat candles. Because you can't do work after, you know, after lighting the Hanukkah candles, right? The Shabbos after, after the Shabbos, yeah. So uh, that's what was my soul. So I don't know why that the question was so big. <laughs> right. <laughs> I sort of you got tricked by by a non-trick question. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it reminds me of a story. There was a Rebbe, I don't remember who it was. A person came and said, Rebbe, I just made a lot of money. I want to give you a, a large sum to distribute to tzedakah to people who need. And he gave the Rebbe, I don't know how much it was, let's say $1,000. A few minutes later, uh, this person comes to the Rebbe and says, and says, um, I know somebody is trying to marry off their daughter, whatever, and they need $1,000. So the Rebbe's first instinct was to give, look, I have $1,000. But then the Rebbe thought to himself, why should I 
blow it all on one person and make one person happy. Let me give 10 people $100 and make 10 people happy. And then the Rebbe thought to himself, no. The first thought came from the Yetzir Tov, the second thought came from the Yetzir Hara, who wants to slow down any mitzvah that you do. And he says, if it, was, if it would have come from the Yetzir Tov, that idea of splitting it up, if I would have come from the Yetzir Tov, then I would have thought of it first. The fact that it came second is because it's always the Yetzir Hara trying to tell the person, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute, let's talk about this. Do you have to do a big mitzvah? Let's do a, a bunch of small mitzvahs. Anyway, your first thought was correct. Yeah. I have a question here. Yeah. Uh, does this mean that it is uh, permitted to light a candle by Shabbat? It says here, Had lakat near by Shabbat, shibnei beto mitztaharim liyashiv yeah, no. Good. It's a very good catch on your part. It doesn't mean hadlakat nerot bishabbat, meaning on Shabbat. It says bishabbat. I know it does. But obviously you're not allowed to light a candle on Shabbat. So it means lighting a candle that shall burn on Shabbat. So, so it's beyond shishi. Right before Shabbat. Yeah, that's the way it's always done. That you light the candles right before Shabbat starts so that they'll burn well into the night. Now, parenthetically... In the days of the Mishnah, talking about, you know, 2,000 years ago, there was a community of Jewish people who rebelled against the establishment. They called themselves the Sadducees, Tzidokim, Tzidokim. And they threw off the burden of the oral Torah. Torah Shabbat Peh, the sages, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the interpretation. They decided that they're, go- they're going to live strictly by the letter of the Torah, not by any explanation. Now, I didn't live back then, so I don't know exactly how it was. But to me, it seems like it's unbelievable that they even got off the ground because that is literally impossible. For example, they said that the Torah says, um, You shall tie the words of the Torah as a sign on your hand. And the words of the Torah shall be as a sign or reminder between your eyes. And that's, of course, a reference to the mitzvah of tefillin. And the Torah says it should be between your eyes. Now, where do we actually put the tefillin? We position them on the forehead in the area that is centered between the two eyes. But we don't put the tefillin between our eyes, even though the Torah says, because the oral Torah, the chachamim, the sages, explained that when God gave the mitzvah to Moshe and gave the explanation to Moshe, he explained that when he says, he means on the forehead centered between the eyes, but not literally between the eyes. So the tzedokim said, no, we don't accept any commentary. Whatever the Torah says, that's exactly what we do. So they used to wear their tzillin literally between their eyes. And I, and I, I listened to that and I'm laughing. I'm saying, wait a minute. You're telling me that they wore tefillin between their eyes? How did they know what tefillin is? The Torah doesn't say, doesn't say, It just says you shall tie the words of the Torah on your arm and, and, and between your eyes. What does that even mean? Tie which words? Tie it how? Tie what? They used to take a box of tefillin, exactly the way the sages explain what tefillin is, and then they would reject the sages and say, no, it goes here. Well, make up your mind. There's a famous story about a, a, a non-Jew 
who came to the two great rabbis of the time, Shammai and Hillel. And he says to Shammai, he goes to Shammai first, Shammai was, was much less patient with uh, foolishness, and he says to Shammai, I want you to teach me the whole Torah, but no, I don't want to learn anything from the oral Torah, just the Torah, the words themselves. Don't teach me anything. The rabbi says this, Rashi says this, don't teach me any of that. Just I want to learn the Torah itself. So Shammai said to him, get out of here, chutzpah, get out of here. You're going to tell me that I should teach you the Torah? Get out, chased him out. So they went to Hillel. Hillel had more patience. He suffered fools better. And he goes to Hillel and he says to Hillel, teach me the whole Torah, please. I want to become Jewish, but only the oral Torah, only the written Torah, no oral explanation. Hillel said to him, okay, have a seat. Let's go. First thing before you're going to learn the Torah is we're going to learn the alphabet, the letters. I'm going to teach you how to read it. Good. All right. This is Aleph. This is Bet, and this is Gimel. Now I want you to go home, review, come back tomorrow, and we'll continue. He comes back the next day, he sits down with Hillel. Hillel says to him, okay, let's hear, did you review? He goes, yes, this is Aleph, this is Bet, this is Gimel. And Hillel says to him, nope, that's not right. He says, what do you mean that's not right? That's exactly what you told me yesterday. He says, what I told you? Oral Torah? Who well, cares what I told you? And make this amazing point that the idea that you're going to read just the, the, just the Torah and you don't want any teachers, no one should explain it, no one should interpret it. Just tell me what it says. It's not possible. It's not possible. You have to take somebody's word for it. Otherwise, you can't get past first base, literally. So, so the, so the Tzedokim... Somehow they got off the ground and they existed for a few generations and they existed and they were such a force that the Jewish, the the establishment, the Jewish traditional community actually enacted certain traditions to counter the view of the tzedokim. When was that? In the times of the temple, Beit HaMikdash, talking about 2,000 years ago. So for example, the most famous example, the Torah says, Lo tiv'aru esh b'shabat. Do not burn fire on Shabbat. That's what the Torah says. Lo tivaru esh b'Shabbat. So the so the the rabbis who explained the Torah said that lo tivaru esh means do not kindle a fire on Shabbos. But if you kindle it before Shabbos, it's no problem. And that's how that's how the Jewish people keep Shabbat Shabbat till today. You turn on a light. You can't turn on a light on Shabbos, but if you turn it on before Shabbos, you can have the light going all Shabbos. One of the reasons. Why Chalent is such a famous tradition, even though it's not a mitzvah, is because it was specifically to counter the view of the tzedokim and to show that you can actually cook food on Shabbat, as long as you are not cooking it, as long as it's doing, as long as you started it before Shabbat. So Chalent started in uh, 2000 years ago? I I heard such a thing. I don't know if that's authoritative, (laughs) but why is it so widespread specifically to eat something hot on Shabbat day? It's like a big deal. Have schnitzel and fish and you're good to go. Every Jewish community has its version of chalent, chamim, whatever you want, what have you. And so this is, this is what, um, one of the reasons. And, and uh, I am presuming that this is also one of the reasons for the Shabbat candles. To light a candle right before Shabbat and then have it burn on Shabbat because the tzedokim were sitting in the dark. Because they believe that when the Torah says do not burn fire on Shabbat, it means you're not allowed to have any fires burning on Shabbat. So your house literally on Friday night had to be dark and cold. Yeah. 
Because the Torah says, you know, let our fires burning on Shabbos. And the Chachamim, the sages, were saying, God forbid, the Torah doesn't want us to be, to be suffered on Shabbat. The Torah says, light it before Shabbat, and then it can burn all Shabbat. So the Shabbat candles be lit before Shabbat so that the Jews can enjoy Friday night. Well, they yeah. could have had the non-Jews light their candles for now. Who, the Tzedokim? Yeah. I don't know. What? Are their candles last that long? That, till what? Lit. You, you light a candle on Friday evening mm. and it's going to last all night and... No, no, no. Just for the night. Just for the meal of the night. The Chalent would sit in an oven all night until the next day. But the Friday night candle was just that just, it could, for, just for the evening, because in the morning the sun comes up and you can enjoy the Shabbat day. But on Friday night when it gets dark, it's dark. So you're going to be cold and you're going to be in the dark. Anyway, so the point is that uh, Shabbat candle takes preference because it's all about peace. As it says in the bottom of 174, having a, a fire, having a candle burning on Shabbat, is so that so that the family does not does not get distressed from sitting and eating in the dark. How does this go here to the here? Page one seventy five. Oh, okay. The sages enacted this decree. Shabbat sham b'shabbat mishum shalom that your house should be illuminated so that you don't trip over things. But primarily they wanted that there should be a candle burning where you're going to eat your Shabbat dinner on Friday night. And of course, that is the universal tradition of Jewish women that they light a candle where the meal is going to be taking place. Now, contrast that to the Hanukkah candle in the next text where it says... For the duration of the obligated burning time of the Hanukkah candle, what is the minimal time that a Hanukkah candle has to be burning for? A half an hour. A menorah, a Hanukkah menorah has to be burning for a minimum of a half an hour after nightfall. And during that time, when it is a mitzvah, asur lehanot me'oran. You are not permitted to benefit or use the light of the Hanukkah menorah. And it's a mitzvah to put in enough oil or to have a candle that is big enough that it should burn for a half an hour after nightfall. But the irony is that actually opposite of the Shabbat candle, the Shabbat candle's whole point is that uh, you should benefit from it. That's the whole point of it. And the Hanukkah candle, essentially, you're not allowed to benefit from it. And let, that's one of the reasons why there is the Shamash. The reason why there is that extra candle called the Shamash is so that you can use the light of the Shamash if you need to use the light. And you won't, God forbid, use the light of the candles of the menorah itself because you're not allowed to use it. We have no permission to use it because it's a holy symbol. But you can do, you can benefit from shamash, shamash, but not from the other. Right, yet. right. That's why there's a shamash to benefit from. But it. how can you, just, you know, if you like the? You can't. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can't. 
But, but the point is that, that if, God forbid, somebody by accident benefits with the light of the menorah, let them at least be able to say, I was using the light of the shamash. That's one of the reasons why there is a shamash, because otherwise, the shamash itself, by the way, we could have a whole class on the shamash. Like, what is it doing there? On Shabbat, there's no shamash. Ever think about it? I mean, you take a match, you light the menorah, and you put out the match. What's the big deal? Right. No, you have to put it on. The, it's done. What is it standing there for? So I thought the same thing when I lit the candles uh, yesterday. I said, "Why do I have to, uh, uh, you know, light the uh, the shamash? The, the you know, why not directly to the yeah? The just light it up. In fact, I see a lot of people they light the shamash with the match or with the lighter, and then they light the menorah with the light, with the match or with the lighter, and the shamash is just standing there, like a, like a soldier who doesn't have anything to do." Anyway, let's keep going. But is it okay to light the candle directly without going through the shamash? Well, whatever you're lighting it with is the shamash. And whatever the shamash is, nothing. But also, a shamash, can it be on the different levels than the other candles? You know, it must be. It must be, yeah. To so distinguish. It, yeah. But... It has to be on the so if the shamas is uh, higher than the other candles, it's not a kosher menorah. No, it should be higher. It should be. It higher. must be distinguishable so that you, so people don't get confused and think, wait a minute, is it the fourth night or the fifth night or what's okay. going on? Okay. No, so that's why the shamash is always set aside higher okay. or lower or on the side. Okay, got or, it. Okay. Yeah. In the middle. Or in the middle, but higher, not the same level as the other ones. Okay. So now the question is, what in the world is this? How could you cancel one of the mitzvahs of the Torah for the sake of peace? I understand massaging the truth about a conversation <laughs> about a husband says about his wife or whatever because you want to keep the peace. But canceling a mitzvah in the Torah for the sake of the peace? And if you're going to say, well, then you're going to cancel the Shabbat candle. All right, that's also a good question. But the justification is the problem. In fact, what you were saying would, you would seem, not that it is correct, but it would seem to be um, intuitive that since the Hanukkah candles on Friday night have to come first, then you do what comes first, and if you, then if you're out of candles, you're out of candles. And it's bad luck for Shabbat. But you do what comes first. You will skip the Hanukkah candles and light the Shabbos candle, it doesn't make any sense. And the excuse that's given is because Shabbat candles promote peace. Since when do we cancel mitzvot in an effort to promote peace? Well, is mitzvot having peace? Is that a, huh? it's, is a, could be indirect mitzvot? I'm sorry? It's an indirect mitzvot. Indirect. Indirect. Yeah. What, to make peace? Yeah. Oh, so you're trading in one mitzvah for another mitzvah? Yeah. Yeah, so let's hear what the Rebbe is going to say. Basically, the Rebbe is going to say, you're not canceling the mitzvah. Because what the Maimonides, what Maimonides said was, why are we canceling the, Shabbat, the, Shabbat, the Hanukkah candle? Because the Shabbat candles make peace. Because the whole Torah was given to make peace. All the mitzvot, not only Shabbat. The Shabbat candle is one of the best examples of something that is literally promoting peace. But all of the 613 mitzvot and all of the rabbinic mitzvot, including Hanukkah, is the intent, the intent is to make peace. So when you say we're canceling a mitzvah for the sake of peace, it's not canceling, because the same purpose is being carried out. Let's read it inside, on page 176. 
This is from Chassidus, from Chassidus, from the previous Rebbe. From the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. Text number four. All mitzvot are interconnected in complete oneness, like you just said. Our sages taught that one must never weigh one of the Torah's mitzvot against another. Like say, oh, this is more important, this is not so important. The lightest mitzvah and the harshest mitzvah were given by the same God, the same shepherd, the same one God who spoke them. And therefore, every mitzvah is inter-included with all the mitzvot. So technically, when, when a Jew is lighting the menorah, they're also eating matzah on Pesach. When you're eating matzah on Pesach, you're also lighting a Hanukkah menorah because all the mitzvot are, have one heart, one beating heart. It's just that these are different manifestations of the same spiritual energy. This is why a person who is engaged in one mitzvah is exempt from other mitzvot. Right? As we say, asuk b'mitzvah, osek b'mitzvah, patur min mitzvah A person who's doing a mitzvah is exempt from running after a different mitzvah. Doesn't mean that the other mitzvah is not important. The meaning here is that it is considered as if you are doing both mitzvot because the mitzvah that we performed includes the other one that we were not able to perform because all the mitzvot are one. And this is true also, by the way, this is not what he's saying here, but this is also true about the Jewish people. I'll never forget this. Uh, We were in yeshiva, and Rabbi Shapiro says, how does one God produce multiple mitzvot, multiple Jewish souls. Right, we talk about what is what what in the world, what in our world is one with God, the Torah, and the and the, and the Jewish people, God, the Torah, and the Jewish people are one. But then, if that's true, and we say God is the ultimate echad, then how come the Torah is not one mitzvah, and how come there isn't one Jew? I mean, if we're all one then we should all be one. should be one mitzvah, one Jew, one God. But yet there's one God, 613 mitzvot, and millions and millions of Jews. And his answer was, that's the way it appears. But the truth is that we know that there's only one Jew. We all share one soul. That's why we are obligated to love each other as ourselves. V'yahavta l'reyacha, Kamocha, love others, love your fellow Jew as you love yourself. Not because that's a nice thing to do only, but because that's the reality. Because we share the one Jewish soul. We all share part of it, so that we are, in a certain way, one person. We are one person. More than one family, we are one person. Yes? Uh, when you say, so if you do... If you light the menorah, it means it's almost like you're eating, uh, you're observing Passover too. Yeah. Are we talking about at that moment? Because then a person can only do one uh, observance of one holiday. You know. Yeah, it means physically you're doing one mitzvah, but the spiritual aspect at that time is you're doing all the mitzvot because one mitzvah is all the mitzvot, oh, okay. and all the mitzvot are included in every mitzvah. Okay. It's like. When you talk about your fellow Jew, right? If you help one Jew, you help one fellow Jew, it's like you're helping the whole Jewish people because we are all one. So it's not that a person could say, oh, why should I go out of my way and exert so much effort to help one Jew? Let me do something that's going to help a lot of Jews. 
One Jew is a lot of Jews. We are, because we're all one, so every one of us includes all of us. And all of us is made up of every one of us. And the same thing is with the mitzvot. Why should I do this mitzvah? I'm going to go do that mitzvah. Don't pick and choose. All the mitzvot are one. When you're doing mitzvah A, spiritually speaking, you are doing mitzvah B because they're one. Because they come from God who is one. Just like you wouldn't say, I don't like this God, I'm going to go to that God. It's one God, it's one mitzvah. Different expressions of the same mitzvah. And what is the, what is the essence of it? That we connect to God through the mitzvah. But you can connect to God through lighting a Hanukkah menorah, you could connect to God through eating matzah and Pesach, lighting a Shabbos candle, giving tzedakah, learning Torah, eating kosher, helping a person. All of these are just different manifestations of the same mitzvah, which is to connect to Hashem. Now, page 177. It is the purpose of the entire Torah, which includes every mitzvah, to bring peace to the world. And so it follows that no mitzvah can be said to have been canceled by a mitzvah that brings peace. Because the mitzvah that brings peace fulfills the very purpose of the other mitzvah that it canceled. And thus the other mitzvah has not been canceled, it's been fulfilled. You understand the spiritual point that he's making here? Every mitzvah, that the Rambam said, is to bring peace. So if, if you have a choice between mitzvah A or mitzvah B, and mitzvah A, you're going to choose mitzvah A because it practically brings peace, then you're not ignoring mitzvah B. You're respecting the fact that the whole purpose of mitzvah B, like all the mitzvahs, is to bring peace. So therefore, you're going to celebrate the mitzvah that, that obviously tangibly brings peace, the Shabbat candle. So you're not disrespecting the Hanukkah candle. You're honoring the soul of the mitzvah of the Hanukkah candle, which is to promote peace in the world, by lighting the Shabbat candles, which brings peace to the mini world, to the Jewish home. So this is one of, this is one of the reasons why when we talk about peace between a husband and a wife, about keeping the peace between a husband and a wife, about a husband and a wife's obligation to keep, preserve peace between the two of them, we call it Shalom Bayit. Peace in the home, or peace at home. Why do we use this euphemism? Why don't we just say peace in a marriage, Shalom, Shalom Ishvishto, or Shalom Nisuin, or whatever. Why do we use this nickname of Shalom Bayit? Because when we say peace in the home, we mean that every Jewish couple or every Jewish family needs to preserve peace in their marriage, in their family, and in their home because every Jewish home is a micro version of the world. This is the big, big error, the big mistake of people that try to make peace in the world without first trying to make peace within themselves and with the people closest to them. They just skip they just skip step A, step B, step C, and try to make peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. How about you leave the Israelis and Palestinians aside and try to make peace between you and your wife, or between you and your husband, or between you and your brother? Or better said, how about Israel forgets about making peace with the Palestinians and tries to make peace with themselves? The Jewish people make peace with each other, and then we can have talks about having peace with our enemies. But first make peace with your own brothers and sisters, and then we can talk about... So every Jew, peace in the world begins with, with peace at home. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. 
So when we talk about peace between, in a marriage, we, we don't call it peace in the marriage, we call it peace in the home. And when we say home, we also mean the world, which is God's home. That through, through a couple working through its issues and trying to find peace, you're also contributing in a real way to God's world finding peace. All right. So now, Hanukkah, Hanukkah is not just like any mitzvah. Because the reason why it's not disrespectful to Hanukkah to cancel it in order to light the Shabbos candle is like we said, because all the mitzvahs are to bring peace. But Hanukkah especially is about making peace. Let's read what it says here in the Rambam. Again, going back to the Rambam. And he talks about the origins of the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Page 178. In the era of the Second Temple, the Greek kingdom issued decrees against the Jewish people attempting to nullify their faith and forbidding them to observe the Torah and its mitzvot. They extended their hands against their property and against their daughters. They entered the Beit HaMikdash. They wrought havoc in the Beit HaMikdash and they made the, the sacraments, the holy, the holy vessels of the Beit HaMikdash impure. The Jews suffered greatly under them, for they oppressed them greatly, until the God of our ancestors had mercy upon them, delivered them from their hand, and saved them. The sons of the Chashmonaim, Kohen Gadol, overcame the Greeks, killed them, and saved the Jewish people from their hand. They appointed a king from the Kohanim, and independence and sovereignty returned to Israel for more than 200 years. Accordingly, the sages of that generation ordained that these eight days, which begin from the 25th day of Kislev, should be commemorated as days of happiness and praise of God. Candles should be lit in the evening at the entrance to the houses on each of these eight nights to publicize and reveal the miracle. So now, if you zoom out from the story of Hanukkah, at the end of the day, what happened? There was war and the Maccabees brought peace. The Jewish people were at peace. Alexander the Great, who was the, the, you know, the, the one who introduced the Greek Empire to the, Israel, was very kind to the Jews, extremely kind and tolerant to the Jews, and there was peace. But when he, when he left, when he was gone, and Antiochus came along, the Jews did not have peace. And they were suffering greatly under the Greeks until Matityahu and Yehuda Maccabee fought back and made peace. So Hanukkah, symbolized by the very peaceful flames of the menorah, is all about the miracle of the Jewish people finding peace. So therefore there's no offense taken when the Shabbat candle, which is the ultimate symbol of peace, overrides the mitzvah of Hanukkah, because the whole story of Hanukkah is about bringing peace. So it's no problem. It, you, the, the greatest way to honor Hanukkah is by not ignoring the candles of Shabbat, which are all about shalom bayit, all about peace. So the only, the, the, the only thing which can uh, basically uh, cancel Shabbat, or you know, break the laws for Shabbat, is the breeze, right? You can have breeze on Shabbat, and then saving a person's life, right? Well, 
Saving a person's life is the only is the only reason why you would be allowed to break the laws of Shabbat. Bris is different because there you're doing a mitzvah. And anytime you have a positive mitzvah and a negative mitzvah that clash, the positive mitzvah always wins. So, are you saying that Shabbat is a negative mitzvah? The prohibition against cutting skin on Shabbat is a negative mitzvah. Ah, oh, okay. You shall not... You shall not do work on Shabbat, okay. and drawing blood is one of the ways of, of doing work. You shall circumcise a baby on his eighth day of his life is a positive mitzvah. Oh, okay. And a positive mitzvah and a negative mitzvah that, that uh, clash, mm-hmm. the positive mitzvah always wins. Nowadays, it's very hard to think of a mitzvah that um, overrides Shabbat besides Brit, right? Mm-hmm. But in the olden days, in the days of the Beit HaMikdash, Man, in the Beit HaMikdash, they were doing all kinds of things. First of all, they played music because they had to bring the korbanot. And they were bringing korbanot on Shabbos, the sacrifices, animal sacrifices. They were slaughtering animals on Shabbat. Slaughtering animals is far worse than just drawing a little bit of blood during a bris. But it was no problem because it was a positive commandment, positive mitzvah to bring korbanot. And a positive mitzvah always, always over, overrides a negative Mitzvah. So actually in the Beit HaMikdash they were doing many things that a regular, during regular Shabbat we don't do uh, for that reason. I am sorry to be a challenger here, but all my life I have grown to love my, my faith, Judaism, the words of God, everything. And I respect every syllable written in this book. I have no problem with that. The only thing is, in order to practice that, it is way, way far from generations. You, the, the average people, not even the average, the 97.5% of the Jewish people cannot follow the interpretation to have peace at home. Or, or you, you don't have to, you know, you, you help him to be peace. And if he's got peace, then everybody else got peace. It doesn't exist these days. It's a different different world. You know, I went to Yom Kippur, not this one, a few years back, to the synagogue, and I knew a few people. They came to the synagogue to see and be seen. Dress this and show off and all that. And and they, they, they asked God for forgiveness, everything is fine. And when they just leave the temple, then they do the same thing as did yesterday. People don't follow this. I'm willing to follow it, but I will be the only one maybe, you know. It's sad, in in my opinion, it's sad. Generation has passed, and 
and the people has become rotten sometimes to their bones. Well, well, now we know for sure he's Jewish. <laughs> until until now, maybe I maybe I could have doubts, but not now. <laughs> now, now that you're a challenger, now I know for sure you're Jewish. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I made my point. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, obviously, I've nobody here disagrees with you. It's human nature. It's the human nature. I think it's between the people and God, and you do what. You learn, you do what you learn from the Torah and what's right, and everyone is responsible. Is uh, you know, you uh, people follow it the way they think they can, you know, and uh, it's uh, you know, ignorance or not even thinking about it, you know. Well, the, the people that. People doing, you know, they, uh, there are Jewish people live that life uh, by the book. But then you go a little bit, uh, watch the, the other people. They look at them like, oh, these are the other people. You know. <laughs> yeah. Benjamin, you ever ask yourself this question? When God made the world, right? How many uh, chickens do you think God created? Millions, right? You know, the world was filled. The world was full. Hashem didn't create one chicken, right? Okay. He created many chickens. He created many fish, many birds, many animals, many, many, many animals. But he created one man. Why? Why didn't he fill the world with people? You know, let's come on, let's get this party started. You have to make one man, and then he made another one, then he makes a woman, and then they have a child, and then... And then slowly the world fills up with people. Why not just fill the world with people the same way you filled the world with trees and, and birds, animals and fish? Why was a man created alone? Well, he made a mistake. <laughs> when? Well, well he, he later said, I made a mistake. The, uh, the man had... It can't be alone. God, this, this just makes the question stronger. Oh. Does God make a mistake? No. Oh, Obviously, he, he, he said. No, he didn't make a mistake. He said, Adam levado. It's not good that a man should be alone, so I'm going to make him a wife. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah that's right. Except right. Uh, he said, I can't remember where he said it, that he made a mistake. That was before the flood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the mistake yeah. was that he made people all together. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different story. He will never destroy yeah. No, but, be, but he made a man, and then he says, I'm, okay, it's not good for the man to be alone, I'm going to give him a wife. So then why didn't you make a husband and wife to begin with? A better question, why don't you just fill the world with people to begin with? And the answer is because we look back to Adam. Uh, every one of us identifies with him because he was the first one of us. He was the first person. And if the world had been filled with people, then, then humanity, every human being, would never be able to imagine that the world's future depends on him. Because we would never have that consciousness that one human being carries the whole world. But because God created Adam by himself, and for those few hours it was the entire universe on Adam's shoulders. 
The whole purpose of the world was on one man's shoulders. And then God said, okay, let me give him a wife, I'll have kids, there'll be other people, more people, but it's too late. For those few minutes and hours, one man was the purpose of the whole world. And that created a precedent that every man and every woman, till this day, has to identify with Adam and feel there is nobody else. There is no one to pass the buck to. There is no one to rely on. There is nobody to fall back on. It's me. Bishvili nivra ha'olam. The world depends on me. And the fact that there are other people who are, let's say, you know, in our view, that are less than optimal or misbehaving or whatever, should only remind us that it's on me. I don't have anybody else to look around and say, oh, they're doing okay. I can do what I want. They're taking care of it. There is no one else. It's just me. Like Adam. And that, he created, um, Adam was right away in the Garden of Eden? Or, yeah. Or right. Right, so it was a, right away in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that you, uh, you see the world as it is. And I wish you luck with the, uh, with the notion that the world is, it's on you. It's, a, it's, a, it's on your, it's Avdan, Avdan Kup. It's on your head. Well, on my head. Every one of us has to feel like that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to be pessimistic, really. But I think it's too late for the world. It's too late. Because people, show me one person honest. Show me. Nobody, nobody, nobody. I mean, uh, uh, present... Uh, company excluded. Yes, I know, of course. I, I don't mean that. Uh, I mean, uh, I can't. I can't find... I, I, I have experience in my life. I got people working uh, in my house, uh, fixing. I called a plumber. They cheated. I said, I'm paying you to do your job. Nobody really have integrity, respect for life, for, for the world. I, I see, I have to disagree because I don't, because I, I, I don't encounter, I, I mean, I know it exists, but I try to avoid it and I don't encounter it as much and not on What don't you agree or disagree about what? Well, I mean, it's like plumbers and getting, I mean, I'm dealing with contractors. That's now. an example of that happened. I mean, uh, yeah. You know, the, the people, you can't trust people. Benjamin, we need a Fabrengen. We need a good Fabrengen, we need to make a Lachayim, and we need to open our hearts to each other, because this, of course, this is the essence of everything. To try to see the good in people is not easy. To try to see the good people in the world, it's not easy, but it's there. Good luck with that. It's there, it's there. All right, let's continue. Thank you for uh, opening your uh, honesty to us, but we'll, let's bring about it. On Shabbos, we'll bring about it. Okay. Right now, let's finish up this class. Okay. okay. On page 179, it says that at the end of the six days of creation, What was the world lacking when the, world, when the six days of creation came to an end? The entire universe... <coughs> The entire universe, the earth, the heavens, the solar system, the animal kingdom, everything was complete. So now what's missing? Why don't we go back to day one? Why is there a day, a day seven? 
What was the world lacking? Mimnucha. Rest. Ba'at Shabbat, ba'at Menucha. So along came Shabbos, and with Shabbos came rest. Kalta v'negmera When Shabbat arrived, rest arrived, and thus the work of the world was completed and finished. What you see from this passage in Rashi is that peace is not the absence of conflict. It's an interesting philosophical kind of a thought. Is peace an entity, or is peace merely the absence of conflict? Like, is darkness a real thing, or is darkness just a vacuum empty of light? And uh, some, some notion is that peace, peace is not a real thing. Peace just means no one's fighting. When no one's fighting, it's peaceful. But peace is not its own entity. It's just the absence of conflict. But this Rashi teaches us that that is not correct. That peace is its own entity. And that when the world was created, for the first six days the world was created, there was no conflict. And yet, there was no peace. Shabbos brought the peace. Because God had not yet created peace. When he made Shabbos, that's when he created peace. So peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace is an energy. Peace is a spiritual energy that exists, that is meant to be brought to every corner of the world. Beginning with our own hearts, and with our own friendships, and our own relationships, and our own communities, and then our own environments, and then eventually to the world. But it's a real thing. It's a real thing. So when we talk about pursuing peace, it doesn't just mean resolving all conflict. It means bringing this, this uh, elusive energy called shalom. Ose shalom, ose shalom means that God makes peace. Not that he resolves conflict. That's a different issue. He makes shalom. Who? Ose shalom, who ya se shalom aleinu. May God bring peace to us. So the, uh, the idea that a mitzvah that brings peace, like Shabbat, the Shabbat candles, that actually bring peace to a Jewish home and to the, and to the world, it's, it's, not, it's not surprising at all that the Hanukkah candles would step aside happily for the sake of bringing peace um, to the world. Because that is the biggest, biggest mitzvah of all. And that is what the mitzvahs are accomplishing. The mitzvahs, every time we do a mitzvah, because we are bringing godliness into the world with the mitzvah, godliness is the beginning of peace. So when you do a mitzvah and you bring kedusha, you bring holiness and godliness to the world, you are actually bringing this peace into the world. So let's go to the, to the end and wrap it up. Page 184. Page 184. This is the deeper meaning of the saying that Torah was given to bring peace into the world, as we said before. That means to reveal that the world and everything in the world is really Torah and part of God. It is the world's nature to conceal its divine light. Like you're saying. People, although they are in, in possession of a godly soul, 
they hide it under a mask of ugliness, etc. But there's godliness inside there. Godliness is not openly visible on earth. On the contrary, the world appears to be very separate from God to the extent that it is possible to assume not only that the world is not an extension of God, but that the world doesn't even need God. To that point, human beings can feel separate from God. That not only I'm not connected to God, I don't need to be connected to God. It's that, that, it's that much of a lie. That's how deep the, the delusion is that we can convince ourselves that we don't need God. And that it is possible to assume that there isn't a God. So it goes, midechi el dechi. It goes from, from, you know, descent to descent. How do we come to an, a, so, a society that claims that there is no such thing as God? It doesn't start with that. First it starts with, of course there is a God. But God and the world are two separate entities. And then the next generation says, not only is God and the world two separate entities, but the world, the entity of the universe, does not need God in order for us to live. So therefore, God can take a step back and he can become irrelevant. So now you have a generation that believes in God, but believes in a completely irrelevant God. He's not relevant. He doesn't matter when it comes to my life. And then the next generation says, there is no God. The, the, the parents said, there is a God, but we have to make our choices for ourselves. God's not relevant. The generation, their parents said, God is relevant, but I'm allowed to defy God because we're not one. We're separate. And that's how generation after generation goes worse until comes a generation that says, what God? When God? There is no such thing as God. Therefore, that God gave us the Torah to bring peace to the world means that the Torah makes peace between the world and God. That's, that is the essential, ultimate definition of peace. The reason there's conflict between people is because there's conflict between God and His creation. If there was no conflict between the world and the Creator, there would be no conflict in the world. But the fact that we and God are at odds with each other Humanity and God don't see eye to eye. We feel like we don't need Him. We feel like He doesn't need us. We feel like we're drifting apart. And then eventually our grandchildren feel like there isn't even a God. So then of course the world is going to become filled up with conflict. Because the source of peace has become invisible. And that's why it's so important to do a mitzvah, to do every mitzvah that we can. Because every mitzvah imports this godliness and reveals God's presence in the world. The Torah enables us to recognize and to feel that the universe is not in conflict with God. The universe does not even conceal God. The universe depends constantly on God for its existence. And most importantly, the creation is merely an extension of the Creator. It is not separate. God never divorced Himself from any aspect of His creation. He is involved intimately with everything that happens. And even when a person lies, God is in the lie. God is the one who enables a person to lie. Who gives the person the free choice. And God gives, God enables, empowers the person to say, you make the choice. But God is there in that choice. That's why it's such a terrible thing to lie. Because you're lying right over God. You're using God's energy to hurt Him. 
It's not like he's somewhere else. You are empowered by him right now. You, the very lie that you are saying is only energized by his energy. So you're using his energy to do what he asked you not to do. You're using his money against him. It's not nice. Like a, it's like a teenager who takes the car that his parents gave him and goes and, 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 and uh, goes way too fast and speeding and takes his, takes his friends and goes and, and purchases drugs. You can't use the gift that your parents gave you against your parents. It's not a nice thing to do. And God is more than a parent. God is inside all of us and all of our thoughts and all of our words and all of our actions. And then when we do something that He doesn't like, we're doing it with, with Him. We're forcing Him into the sin as well. It's really, really not kind. And so what's the solution? The solution is to do mitzvahs. Because a mitzvah changes the world in a practical way. A mitzvah changes the world. Now, let me just finish with this. The world used to be full of war. There used to be a world that was just war after war after war. And every war had three mini wars happening in the middle of it. You know, the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages and the 20th century, the worst century. Baruch Hashem, thank God, the world has, seems to have lost its appetite for war. Not that Mashiach is here. But we have to be open-minded enough to not only see the negative, but to be willing to see the positive where it exists. And we have to acknowledge that although it seems too good to be true, we are making progress. And that the world today is infinitely less brutal than it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. Yes, there's still dishonesty and corruption wherever you look, but the brutality of humanity is infinitely better than it was with a century or two centuries ago. Humanity has become more gentle. That doesn't mean that being a Bernie Madoff is okay. That's not the point. The point is not that it's okay to lie and cheat and steal. The point is that we're getting somewhere. And just like we don't have, the, just like, for example, Christianity is not the brutal inquisition that it once was, right? Christianity has come so far, and now it really is a religion, so to speak, of peace and whatever. So just like Christianity has come that far, Islam will also come that far. Corruption will also come that far. And we are moving in the right direction. Where is this progress coming from? Is it just coming because the universe is becoming a better place spontaneously? No, we're not that naive. It's coming because we have been working on this. Am Yisrael has been working on this for 3,000 years with the sacrifice to do what's right, to do the mitzvot, to do Shabbat, to do all this, we have paid for it in blood, sweat, and tears, but we have purchased for ourselves a better world. We have gotten somewhere. And we're going to get further, and we're going to bring Mashiach. So we cannot discount the, the value of every mitzvah, because every mitzvah brings peace, because that's the purpose of every mitzvah. And with every one tiny more mitzvah that we do, it's another step towards peace, towards world peace, towards the coming of Mashiach. And we're going to get there. We are going to get there. And it's not like we can't see any progress. We can, and we're coming close.